This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. On this episode, I've got two people in the studio. One of them is my best mate, Sam Raven, aka The Slug. The other is the inspirational and powerful Ed Slater, who's got the fight of his life on his hands. Enjoy. Get in! Yeah! Big Jim is wearing his heels. Marching around the town to get some thrills. But it's time to go in now. And he's big and red. A shot of black coffee, now he's super dead. He gets lost. I'm a big dick house. I showed him some whiskey and he shoot it like a mouse. Right. Welcome, Ed, Bravo, Slug, to my office. How's it feel? God, well, the aircon's nice, isn't it? I was absolutely beading. Well, with Ravo driving through London, he did not have a clue. He, there were sounds coming out of his mouth I've never heard in my life driving through Piccadilly Circus. I was going to say, how about that ride in? I wanted to say that. It's been a week since the ride. Yeah. The, I, yeah, the how start. Good. How good? I'm not judging every road now, like I'm on a bike. Oh, this would be hard. Mm. It? Well, I wouldn't want to do this on a bike. The um, ironic thing is, as a driver of the car, I hate cyclists. There was and a couple then, today in London that were irritating. Yeah, well, I mean, the London cyclists are, are different, but on a bike, I hated cars. Yeah. I mean, that point where you nearly fell off your bike, where there was all that traffic. Do you remember where we had to... Jim nearly fell off his bike, the tyre burst. We all carried on, The we? back wheel effectively fell off. <laughs> I worried for your life, but it didn't stop me. The cycle was that hard that whenever there, there was an incident, no fucker stopped. Like, none of us stopped. In the, apart from Billy Twelve Trees, we'll get onto him. No one stopped. And that was the perfect example. We were going, and I'll tell you why. We're going downhill at probably 30, 40 miles an hour. Yeah. Where were we? We don't even know. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I was delirious by that state. It was that hot. We don't know where we were. My back wheel locks up at 30 miles an hour. Let's call it 50 miles an hour. I've <laughs> never been quicker. And I don't know what happened, but the back wheel nearly fell off. And I am skidding. Apparently, I look unbelievable. The lads were saying behind. Well, everyone was behind me. I'm skidding down the hill <laughs> like that. And it was because... only me. It was behind. No, I, no, I was behind. I was behind with Fraser. Did I look good? Well, you just let out a squeal. <laughs> that, that was you let out a squeal. I worried and panicked for you for the three seconds it took me to go past you, and then and then I worried about the hill that I had to climb next. That was the thing because of the hill it. in front. Because no one wanted to stop ever. Because if they saw a hill in front of them, like your tire burst rave, and I heard it explode behind me, <laughs> I was like, leave him, leave him. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Like when we were in it, Slates, when we were in it, it was hard. And we will definitely talk about it. But it's been a week now. And I'd arguably say 
that's up there with the best three days of my life. I loved it, Jim. But what's even better is every day something new comes back to you. You know, when you finish it, you're exhausted and you kind of remember like two or three, maybe four moments, usually when you arrive somewhere and how you felt then. And then each day afterwards, you start thinking, oh, do you remember when, you know, Rave had three, <laughs> three people for sure. <laughs> I said to my wife, she said, oh, how did I can't even get it out. She said, how did Ravo finish it? I said, well, effectively, he didn't. I was like, oh he got over word. the finish line. And the funny thing was, whenever we saw a hill, it was like, no, you were just like, no. And then someone, I would, I just ride past you. And then someone was screaming for Billy 12 trees and he'd put his hand on your back. And then he was getting tired towards the end. And then Charlie Sharp, how'd, I mean, how does Rave. two or three people push someone up so, a hill? So what you said to me yesterday about the pushing up the hill, what, what you were thinking when they let go, of you, when, they were, when they were too exhausted to push anymore, which the I one, think is fair enough. When we got to the Cotswolds one, it was ridiculous. Even Bill was getting tired and he'd be like, you've got to do it yourself now, mate. And I'd be out of the saddle just praying. I'd just say, sit down, sit down. And then I'd sit, I'd sit down and I'd just peel his palm. He'd be like, you all right, Slug? I'd be like, no, mate, absolutely not. It was great, honest. The hollow man, that was it. It was the hollow We've man. We've discussed this in the car on the way up. 350 miles, there was probably all up two to three miles of hills. So I've done 347 unassisted. So what are you trying to say? Because I missed eight miles because I nearly died. You, we you did we it. can talk about that bit. What? The bit he missed. Well, Jim's in charge of editing, so he can choose whether it stays <laughs> We've in We've discussed stay. that. It was the hardest that, 15 miles of the ride. Because was. I weren't there. That was why. Because <laughs> I'm on the windbreak. <laughs> I needed your slipstream, mate. And that's why it was so hard. So that's where the value of having someone six foot nine with heels weighing 20 stone <laughs> in front. Like, where did it start? I mean, who came up with the idea? I mean, you left me a voice note the week before and said you fancy doing a bit of a bike ride. And then... It turned into um, an epic challenge over three days. <laughs> well, it's Lads and Fraser, because obviously you don't want to start going, right, well, uh, you know, I've got some ideas for myself. Let's go, you know, get drawing board out. And I'm thinking, it. so Lads and Fraser are going, well, we want to do something. We've got a week off. Why don't we do a bike ride? You know, we can just, we can get some bikes, jump on it. And then it's like, well, let's do Gloucester to Leicester, your old club. That sounds good. Not much of a challenge. So let's go down to maybe Twickenham. You know, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Then Fraser said, well, that's not much of a challenge. You probably need to get back to Gloucester, which coming out of Fraser's mouth. And he says he regrets that, actually. <laughs> I'm not surprised. He was the one at the very end. It's called bonking. Sounds an unbelievable word, but he bonked on the last bit. He, yeah, he was a terrible state. So that's how it came about. And then it was, uh, how do we get everyone on this? So I've had lots of people say, ah. Oh, yeah, short notice, isn't it? Like, a lot to do, short notice. But actually, I think that added to it. Because if I'd had time to prepare, I think I might have been scared by it. The group that did it, you mentioned Ludd's skipper, Lewis. You talk about the club allowing the players to, and obviously we'll get into the reasons why we all did it and why skipper was allowed to do it. And he had three surgeries mm. in the last couple of months or whatever. So he had his hand in a brace. Yeah, He'd had his shoulder reconstructed, reconstructed a few weeks before did he have his, and his ankle let's say that he had his ankle fused let's make it sound a bit harder <laughs> yeah. and he was meant to have his neck they were looking at his neck weren't they and he went oh, just i'll do that next year <laughs> not one moment I, I, he wanted to yeah. like i could tell he wanted like i could feel him next to me and 
he he said what the fuck once, and that's because Rave was slowing us up. So, <laughs> <laughs> what a machine! I don't, don't want to blow too much smoke up his backside, but I definitely think he's top two or three toughest blokes I've played with, like comfortably. Mm. Like Tommy Youngs would be one of the other ones. I've got to come up with a third now. I said top three. Um, so you've not played um, with me though. No, I haven't played with you, Jim. Top three toughest players against. Then you're in that, aren't you? Would I? Yeah, and definitely. Lou Deeks. Let's just oh. put Lou. He's you know because he's a hero. He's good on the bike as well. Of course he is. He's good on the bike and he's a hero. So we'll we'll put them three together. I think that's a well in my eyes that's a decent compliment for lads. Yeah. We well, say that as well. I said to Rave that Alex Brown is the poshest hard bloke. I've ever played with the hardest posh bloke. How do you say it? The hardest posh bloke. The hardest posh bloke I have ever played with. Someone who speaks so posh, he looks posh. Absolutely nails. Was he? Yeah, he was, yeah. Didn't he you was. wrestle on day what you had a preseason you had to wrestle? And I'm thinking Alex Brown is a line out called who wears number five on his back. Yeah, we don't you know what I mean lanky, story. just like oh, mate, where are you? Nails. Right, you, were you a five nails. Four. You must have been a five. Four, you, it's you... silence. <laughs> <laughs> As in my respect for you, because... On I think you need to the... go back, get back to the bike ride of how it all came about. Yeah, we will do, but when we get to it, I feel like we're hammering you a little bit, because yeah. on night two, when we were at Twickenham, yeah. how hot was the room? As in, absolutely... <laughs> well, we had sun, sunstroke. It's definitely sunstroke. Because we were like, you, the shivers and stuff like that, and your teeth are clattering, but yeah, it's absolutely boiling. So I'm stumbling through the room in the middle of the night, and I am... Wondering how we're going to do it, like the next day, 130 miles. And I found a fan, and generally with the fans, it's just blown around hot air. And I could hear Ravo fidgeting <laughs> in the bed, <laughs> fidgeting a fan, fine. So I've just got the fan, and obviously, I've placed it right in between the two beds, just so no, we both got a bit of air. He has placed the fan by my head, facing him. <laughs> It's pitch black and I'm like, what is that noise? And as it's got lighter about half four, five o'clock, I can just see this fan by my face facing him. Not much of a team player. Dog eat dog world. It yeah. was. We're delirious by Twickenham, weren't we? I that was, was rooming with Fraser. We were playing, you know, that stupid game of scenarios. You know, what would you do? I kept going to him, why are you so scared of going downhill on a bike? Like, what, what's wrong with you? It's the one enjoyable thing about it. And you're like latching onto your brakes as... As if you're going to fall off. And he said, well, you know, I'm just cycling down. He said, I've got this tiny, skinny little wheel in front of me. doesn't look like it can carry my weight. And I just worry that I'm going to fall off. He said, if I fell off my bike, the worst case scenario for me would be my clothes rip off. (laughs) (laughs) When I'm riding the bike, my cock's about a centimetre long. (laughs) So he said... If I fell off the bike, I was on the road, I sprawled out, my cock's hanging out. <laughs> he said people would be looking for my cock. <laughs> <laughs> like it had fallen off. Like it had been burnt off by the road. They'd be looking for a chub somewhere. Because <laughs> they'd be worried that I'd lost it. In that situation, he said, honestly, I'd rather die. <laughs> That's what he's, he's going, if that happened, I'd rather die. That's how delirious we were. We'd lying in bed in pitch flat, just... Talking about how much would you pay not to cycle to back to Gloucester tomorrow? Do you know what I mean? He's going, oh, well, maybe. I said, what about if they said 50 grand, otherwise that's it, you have to cycle. And he's he's genuinely going, would I be able to get 50 grand to get that? <laughs> Do you know we had about an hour of this? We were absolutely out of it. It was brilliant. And Fraser Balmain 
what a character, which I've heard and we've spoken loosely. I mean, he was unbelievable. And your brother and your best mate, Joe, who I was calling John, who doesn't listen <laughs> Super to the fan. rugby. But, well, we, Super he, fan. The funny thing about your best mate is he, I was on the first leg with him and he was asking me about the rugby pod and the podcast, saying that his mates listen to it. And then as it transpired that actually he listens to every episode twice. <laughs> <laughs> and he kept looking at me. I was like, why is he looking at me? Like, I look weird in the back. But To save you, I actually spoke to him because I'll see him after. He was going, so where, 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 are you, where are you meeting Jim? And I had to go, oh, we're just in London somewhere. Yeah, but, you know, where will you do that? I had to actually go, like, as top secret location, mate, because he would have turned up. He would have wanted to see you, give you a cuddle, take a selfie. I'm ready for that now. With, with Joe? With him, yeah. Um, it got to the point where he was hanging that much. That Goody, how funny was Goody? He turned up for literally the last eight miles. <laughs> we spoke, fell off three times. We spoke about it, as, again, about how tired and delirious people were. Goody's obviously done that last stretch. We've gone down that hill to the first set of traffic lights. He's never wore cleats before. We've all stopped. He's not took his feet out. And he has just stacked it with his feet still in the bike. No one even smiles. No one even laughs. I looked at him. Leave him. And he's just looking. Everyone was that full. Well, you, you were laughing. Weren't I was you? You were laughing. I, I, was, I had like a blank stare just looking at him. <laughs> I was actually laughing inside. <laughs> I was laughing inside, but I couldn't get it out. I was that tired. I just, I just ended up looking like a dead man staring at him. He made out that he did the whole day on his social <laughs> media. He? Yeah, oh, I was with the lads yesterday. He did eight miles on the flat. That was yeah, it. riding up front as well. Yeah, but it was good. He came out and supported, which was yeah. obviously good. And a load of other people supported along the way as well because it was meant to be a ride with a few mates. I've never been on bikes. People are giving bikes. We're going to go through the shout-outs. We had a, a bloody crew yeah. with us the whole way. People were giving us food. I didn't even think that you'd need more than two water bottles to cycle 130 miles. I thought two water <laughs> bottles would be suffice. <laughs> Every hour we had to drink it, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, so let's rave. This is your one job today. As you said then, there's a lot of people who all of a sudden made this happen because you're very right, a week out, it was four people stood by a bin outside the training ground saying, how are we going to do this then? Google Maps within a drive. So it ended up coming together with a huge shift from the Zeus cycling. So Darren Clayton... 10, ten out, out of ten. ten. Out. <laughs> Absolute ten out of ten. You struggle to see a better looking man. He did the Gallagher ride for Prem Rugby, so we then had a call with him, explained what we were doing, and I think he quickly felt sorry for us and was like, there is no way you boys can do that. So he was obviously those guys, Darren and his dad, Barry, Barry in the support car, as you mentioned. I was in the support car for eight miles because my bike exploded. <laughs> Barry, you need to sort out your aircon, mate. <laughs> I was boiling in the in the, in the Barry wasn't car. happy towards the end. I thought yeah. Barry was on the bike sometimes. Well, he wasn't happy because like we were taking so long to get <laughs> to certain checkpoints. But anyway, Rafe. So then, obviously, the two riders, Martin and Johnny, who Legends, I think yeah. we all can agree were incredible to make it easy for. Well, not easy for us, as in we didn't have to think. We literally just needed to pedal. Like they, we were following them. And they were keeping us all together, which was incredible. And a massive shout-out has to go to Rob Hughes and Tim Rogers of Gloucester, who were the support vehicle going ahead of us to every every checkpoint and setting it up. We were talking about it in the car on the way in. Even though we were that tired, pulling into those stops and those boys were there with the food, the van, 
waters all set up. So they were enormous. Rob, Rob's a legend, isn't it? Rob's going to write uh, Drive now for Darren. He was a legend, mate. Like yeah. he's salt of the earth, isn't he? He's like yeah, yeah. Gary Spinks lent me the bikes from Milton Keynes Rugby Club, and he also put on all the food and everything for when we we arrived there. So I have to say thank you to him. He's been brilliant and Feisty Brewery. That place was unbelievable, wasn't I've, it? I've never seen a nicer house. <laughs> no. To be honest, with a microbrewery out the back. We've got sports rooms. So Chris Newsham at sports rooms very kindly sorted out the Marriott. At- Twickenham Marriott at Leicester, the Brooklyn Hotel at Leicester. So that was very kind of those guys to just sort that for us. So again, we didn't have to worry about anything, just pulling into those two stadiums. And Nicole at the club, Nicole McLennan, she's been first class. How good to Nicole, by the way. Brilliant. At Gloucester. She's only come in the last few months, really, hasn't she? So she's had a load thrown at her. And she's taken this on, no problem, like wants to help. And then the old wife, Jo. The old wife, Jo, running the social media. The three kids haven't eaten a meal for for a few days, but but the posts were great. (laughs) And also the two policemen. They were called Gareth, the two Gareths. I remembered them, yeah, because one of them is a big fan of the podcast and he came up to me and said that. How good was that? How funny initially, because Fraser's obviously bonked when he's got there. He's got the shakes and stuff like that. He's absolutely hanging. And then we kind of had this bet, didn't we, that last one to King's Home gets tasered by Gareth. (laughs) And he was well up for it. <laughs> but then we realised it was all downhill, so like we didn't want anyone on the hills at the last leg to cause injury. But yeah, big shout out to them. What about, like literally, not trying to make joke of the how about that ride in, but how about that ride into King's Own? That was class, wasn't it? It, oh, it, it, yeah. it was a little bit emotional. What do you mean a little bit? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it was very emotional, wasn't it? It was very emotional. You know, you nearly set me up. You were going, oh... I'm, you I was crying when I saw you? two people at the side of the road when we were coming down that first yeah. thing. I said to you that then. I wasn't then expecting us to pull around the corner to a noise like that. I were gone. I were blubbering. Like, as in serotonin levels were low. Do you know what I mean? Fraser, he was, he, I think he thought he was still getting tasered. So I had to say to him, <laughs> look, you're not getting tasered. We're going in there. But I think for me, the reasons why we did it, I and mean, we, we're going to get into that now, but I just think Gloucester's one of them great clubs as Leicester but Gloucester's a little bit different and I, I kind of forget about that I fell out of love with Gloucester a little bit they were abusing me when I was at Saracens they were throwing money at me which was fake were they banter. really? yeah they Did were you yeah. abuse off them a little bit back? yeah yeah. and then it was the whole salary scandal with Saracens and they were throwing fake money at me and they took Wolfpack Lager off the beer taps is that when Sanderson came out with that quote what was it? the Taylor Swift one no that was going to hate hate yeah, hate, yeah, hate yeah 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 and then he came after great man Sanders <laughs> yeah but the minute we pulled around that corner and you felt the energy and you saw the people, we were like, this is a special, special club. I count myself very lucky to have played for a club like Leicester and a club like Gloucester. They're two great clubs, proper, like you like said. Proper rugby proper clubs. Proper rugby clubs, yeah. That's why when I did go to Gloucester, it wasn't hard in the end because they ticked all those boxes. If you're going to play for a club, you want to be able to buy into it easily, don't you? Yeah. And you can buy into Gloucester in no time with the support they have. Everything's built around the rugby club. I didn't expect the welcome. I, I know you think I'm just saying that, but I thought, you know, it'd be a few people, it'd be nice. I know the club are putting on a little bit of a do, but it was actually ridiculous, wasn't yeah, it? it was. The noise. Mm. And you didn't see them until you turned the corner, did you? So mm. saw a couple of people outside. The, yeah, outside the ground. And then, you know, you, the gate to the Lions then opened up. And you suddenly were like, what on earth is going on here? Yeah, I was just looking at the, the artist Posh bloke and he was gone. And because he was gone, I was gone. 
And I think that it had been a tough three days. And I think there were parts of it where we were all questioning, like we were saying, whether or not we'd get through it. And then we go back to the reasons why we did it. And, you know, when you asked me to do it, I was like 100%. I'm in. Oh, mate, that blew me away as well. No hesitation. You didn't even want much information. I know Ravo told you it was 300 miles when you actually <laughs> did ask for a bit of detail. No hesitation. I was I, I genuinely I was blown away by that, mate. Yeah. That was no, meant it, a lot. It was glass. I think, Slate's. You know, if we, we get into it now and talking about it, when we heard about your diagnosis, I know you've had a few months to process it and it's you that we're talking about, so it might seem a bit weird. You know, I've never done an interview like this where we're talking about something like this, but I think when we heard about your diagnosis, I think it floored a lot of people. Obviously, working a little bit with Doddy and the foundation there, but I think everything like surrounding you, obviously, your age, the fact that you're still playing yeah. at the time, and I think that that's where... We were like 100%, we're in. Let's just go back a little bit then. I know we've had a kind of couple of conversations when we're on the bike, mm. chatted to your brother a little bit as well. It's, you know, we, it was so nice to have that connection over them three days. And I know it's a story that you've kind of told and one that you're going to have to tell going forward, but a lot of the listeners of this will listen to the podcast and they'll know they would have followed the journey over the last three days. But this is a process that you've been through for the last kind of few months and yeah. learning a bit, little bit about you personally on the ride in terms of like, like to be in control. Like you wanted to know how far is it, right? It's 10 miles. Just tell me it's 10 miles. Don't tell me it's 10 miles and it's 20. You want to be in control yeah, of yeah. the situation. And this is a situation that you find yourself out of control. Out yeah, of yeah control. completely out of control. Let's just go back in terms of the way that you were diagnosed and you kind of thought potentially yourself something weren't right and was more sinister. Yeah. Let's just go through that process and just let the people who don't know yeah, what this is all about. It started in October last year. I just was getting muscle twitches in my arms. You know, we all know you've, you've had muscle twitches. You know, when you get them in your quad after weights or, you know, you get a twitch or your, your finger twitches and it doesn't last more than, you know, a bad one would be an hour maybe or a couple of hours well it's so strange how, how it happens but they it's like i woke up one morning with these twitches and then they've never left you know i still twitch now they they started and after a couple of days you start to go this isn't really meant to be happening but you you just kind of ignore it you know lots of things and, and you shouldn't ignore it but that i think that's in our nature isn't it as rugby players whether it's injuries or things going on you just go well it's happening and I can get on with it. It was difficult to deal with, at, you know, at night times because your arms are jerking all over the place and you're going, what on earth is going on here? But I wasn't getting any weaker. You know, my grip strength was fine at that Still point. Still training? Still training, yeah. No no problems there. Didn't say anything to anyone. You know, my wife knew, obviously, but that was it. Just kept it completely to myself. And then after about, you know, this went on for two, another two months, they were still there, day in, day out, 24-7. You know, my wife was even saying... It's happening in your sleep as well, because I didn't know whether while I was sleeping if they switched off or not. So she was going, look, they're happening in your sleep as well. So it was 24-7. Towards the end of December, I'm in the gym, I notice, like, picking up a dumbbell. I can't, you know, and it's not, it wasn't a heavy dumbbell, but my wrist wasn't strong enough to, you know, pick it up and put it on my lap ready to, to do some weight. So, again, stupidly just went, oh, it'll be all right. It's not that bad. Once I get it up there and I lift it, it's not actually that weak. You know, you start coming up with little excuses. But along those two months, Tom Ben Young's unfortunately lost, lost their cousin Jake to MND. 
you know, me and Fraser knew Jake, and, and Fraser's known throughout as well, actually. You know, I was speaking to him a lot, and the first thought of, of M&D came when we were talking about it. He said, we spoke to Jake, and he said one of his first symptoms was muscle twitches, just constant, constant muscle twitches, so in his arms as well. So you're going, oh, I've got constant muscle twitches. I know Jake said that. La, la, la. So we're kind of toying with the idea that it could be serious, but almost looking for signs that it wasn't as well. So you just, it was a horrible position to be in because you were worried, worried sick, but you also didn't want to let anyone know because you felt if you let someone know, then it became more real. Whereas if I kept it to myself or, you know, my wife or Fraser, I had control of it. Like you're saying, I had control of it. And, you know, I could kind of lead this normal life, but actually I realised, you know, my arm was starting to get weaker and weaker. So... In the end, it got to January, my arm become fairly weak, but I was sent to a neurologist, spoke to the club doctor, Karen, who's been amazing, Owen Power as well, they were straight on it, sent me to see a neurologist, and I went to see him, and again, you know, stupidly, but that this is just what happened, is I saw him, we did some blood tests, we looked at my neck to see if there's a pinched nerve, we looked at my shoulder to see if there were pinched nerves, anything basically to try and rule out. Worst case scenario, but nothing nothing showed up. Shoulder was clear, neck was clear, bloods were clear. And he he did some, you know, basic strength tests on me, but it was stronger than, than your average person, so I could kind of mask it a little bit. And he was doing these tests, and, well, you, you know, strong, you had to push him away. And a little bit like the HIA shoulder test, trying to push your shoulders out, no problem. So he was like, well, they're just, they're just you know, they're just twitchers. Don't, you haven't lost strength. It's been going on for three months. So, you know, I'd say probably benign fasciculations it's called so that was like a green light for me perfect I hadn't, I hadn't told him fully the weakness in my arm I just let him do his test tried my best and thought maybe I can just fool him you know as you do try and try and cheat the test and he said yeah I think it's benign fasciculations and so I went away from that and went great I'm not going to go see him again no problem just crack on training playing well obviously from about January February the arm really dropped off to about May. I mean, it was ridiculous. To the end where I, I said to one of the physios, I said, oh, have you got some exercise I can do? My left arm's just a bit weak. And he's going, well, you've been out injured. You broke your foot. You haven't done anything. You know, you haven't been tackling people, la, la, la. So why, why is your arm so weak? And then realised I've, I've had this neurology stuff and he said, we have to speak to the doc about this. You can't you can't keep pretending that, that your arm's just getting weaker and it's nothing related to to the muscle twitches and whatnot. So in a way, I've kind of been masking it for about four months. Um, so anyway, once I, once I realised we were going down the route of, of speaking to the speaking to the doctor again, because my arm had become weaker and weaker, I'd, I knew what route it was, it was going to go down. I knew there was going to be lots of tests. I knew there was nothing wrong with my neck and my shoulder. I knew there was nothing wrong with my bloods. And MND is diagnosed really on everything else being ruled out, that's all you're left with. There's not actually a test for... So it's just a process of elimination. It's a, yeah, it's a process of elimination. So I know from previous that everything had been eliminated. So I was going, well, it, it genuinely would take a, a miracle, really, for something to show up suddenly now. But I went about to see the neurologist. You know, they did an EMG, which is where they stick lots of needles in your muscles, send electric pulses, they put pads on you, send electric pulses... And more or less, we we did that test. You get them instantly, these EMG results. And he said to me, this is about May, he said, there's lots of denervation in your arms. You know, the, the nerves have stopped stopped working, really, which suggests, for me, motor neurone disease. So you come out of there a bit, you know, 
you haven't got you still you still haven't got a definitive answer because he he wants to refer you to a, a specialist as an M and D clinic at John Radcliffe in Oxford. You still come out of it going, he thinks it's that, but you know maybe there's still something else at play. It, you know, I think let's just say the human brain works is a little bit, well, and the fact that you played rugby and yeah, you, the, you, neck and, problems, shoulder problems, and you start I start to let a few more people in my in a circle know that what was going on and. Everyone's attitude was a little bit similar, like, well, you've been playing rugby for years, so, you know, there's probably going to be some sort of damage. There's no way, I mean, you know, you're 33 years old and it just doesn't make sense. And I can understand that. But then you start, you know, by that point, I start to realise that I said to you on the bike ride, didn't I? I knew really deep down something wasn't right. And you do, when you're playing rugby, you get a good feel for your body, don't you? Knocks, niggles, you know, whether something's serious enough to keep you out or whether you are able to train and play on it, you start to get a good feel for your body. So by that point, I was kind of in that, something's not right. My arm was just, I lost dexterity in my hand, you know. I mean, it's really slow now, but at that point I realised like my reactions to try and catch things completely skew with. So I just basically waited to, to be referred to this MND clinic in, in Oxford. And it's like purgatory, really, that, that space. I kind of didn't want to... I said, I said to my mum at the time, I remember saying, well, he thinks it's that, so is there any point in going to see someone else? I might as well, if, it, if it's going to be that, it's going to be that, and I might as well just get on with things rather than going for more tests and seeing another specialist because the reality of it is it's extremely dark, isn't it? You know, So in some ways you're going, well, I'll just live with the possibility that it could be that, there's a good chance it's that, but I don't want it definitive. You know, I can kind of live in a space where it's it's not, but you've got young kids you got responsibilities and so I, I went to the MND clinic and then I mean he, he did the examination I'd done in January and completely different it was boom there you go I've seen this yeah that's that's motor neurone disease I was kind of I'd prepared myself for that leading up to leading up to the appointment obviously I'd had the I think it is motor neurone disease from Geraint Fuller so I had about a month before the appointment because I basically delayed it wanted a holiday so uh, I prepared for that when it, when he actually told me and that wasn't that wasn't the bit that upset me that was like in some strange way getting that definitive answer after the last 10 11 months well, it actually put you a little bit at peace really because you thought right I know it's that now that's mm. what it is one one thing I didn't touch on that now I look back is during that 10 months in and around the house because my arm was getting weaker I knew my arm was getting weaker I've got like hand grips everywhere you know what I mean? You know, like the the weightlifters' hand grips. The old got, metal thing. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I've got them around the house, so I'm like testing that every ten minutes. Yeah. I'm doing press ups in the yeah. in the lounge, going like, "Am I stronger today? Am I weaker today? Mm. Does it feel any different?" That I mean, that was exhausting for my wife, but any chance I get, I'd be like pushing my arm against something, and that was hell. That was honestly hell because like that mental battle, like, is it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Constantly looking for for markers or signs that to try and find something that that would take you off a different path from from M and D. But you know, I'm I'm sat here now with it, and uh, it's not going to change. So my attitude towards it has changed a lot, actually, really since since that first it could be motor neurone disease consultation I had. You know, that was kind of where I just started to go. This is the path I'm on, really. I know what's going to happen, more or less, uh, at the MND clinic and John Radcliffe. It, I don't know why I'd go there 
unless it was going to lead down that path. So I kind of prepared from that point, which is probably why my attitudes is what it is at the moment. Like human instinct and when you sat around with your mates or whatever and when I was with Hambo in Leicester back in the day when we, we I was going to say he was loose as a goose, we were loose as a goose. I remember us watching Superman on TV with Christopher Reeves. I liked him that much. I got a tattoo of him on my arm. It's the... I love that. Do you know um, what? Sorry, I know this is serious. That's right. Conversation. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Big fan of him. Was filmed in Milton Keynes. Did you know that? No, I didn't. No. Okay. And we were riding through there, thinking this is worse than Cov. <laughs> when we go through. Hey, do you know what I mean? I would have. I would have stopped more and looked up. I had my head down in Milton Keynes. I was fucked <laughs> as we were driving through. Genuinely. Which one? The, the one with Christopher Reeves? The one with the well, the three baddies. Yeah, the um, um, in the in the black in the black the ones that get thrown up into space. Yeah, yeah, and they're they, they're at like the world, the equivalent of NATO, isn't it, or something like World Conference? Yeah, I should and know. And it's at shouldn't the train station. Me really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm going back there. For you. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with twenty five thousand miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, well, I remember when me and Hambo were around as young lads, and it's like, what if... You know, what yeah. would you do if, what would you do if this happened? We were talking about Christopher Reeves. You know, he's Superman, was filming a, a, a film about a guy who fell off a horse, broke his neck, and we know his story as a quadriplegic and, and went through and has done amazing things and is no longer with us. And, you know, we, we have them chats, don't we? And we mm. watch Doddy and you look at Rob and, and stuff like that, and it's one of them where you hope it's not going to happen, you, th you think it's not going to happen, and I think that that 
well, I imagine that's the shock. Slice, yeah, is definitely had that with you saw Van der Vesseisen, didn't you? Doddy, Rob Barrow. You know, I didn't have this when they were all diagnosed, and I looked at it like most people and went, "Oh my god!" I mean, felt unbelievably sorry for those guys, but actually, the angle on it was that's probably one of my worst nightmares because it is such a cruel disease. You know, the reality is that it strips you of everything apart from your brain, which in some ways you wish it did your brain as well so that you weren't aware of it. But the fact that you sit in a in a body that you can't move, that you can't talk, that you struggle to swallow, I mean, you just it's, it's a worse nightmare. You know, that's the reality of it, you know. You have to think about it. I can't avoid that because that's that's the path I'm on. So you ha you have to consider it. How long you spend thinking about it is is up to me. You know that that how long do I want to live in that space of where's it going? And I do have control over that. And and that's you know hopefully if it'll be in a few years. You know that that's what I can hope for now. Which sounds bizarre that you should be thinking in those terms. But there there are unbelievable people that have been living with it for six years, eight years. You know a guy at Hambo Centre. Dave Needham, playing wheelchair rugby, can still speak, doing work in the gym. He's an incredible example for people with MND. I'm going to see him actually tomorrow. So there are, there are little hope stories, you know, there's, there's stories of hope of people with MND, but there are also really, really, really dark, horrible stories. And unfortunately, the majority are that side of the, the spectrum, I think, than, than the other side. So... The unknown of that is difficult, but, you know, I've, I've said it. You, you, we talk about living in the moment all the time, don't we? I, I've talked about it before, this disease. I have to be a bit more present with the kids and I have to be a bit more present with my job and not think too much into the future and where I want to go and what I want to do. But it's very difficult. It's very difficult to do that with everything, you know, all the distractions you have. With, when you get diagnosed with this, I'll tell you what, it gets rid of a lot of stuff for you and you have some real clarity and perspective and that that is genuinely where I'm at, at the moment I'm very much enjoying each day as it comes and what what happens in the future is so out of my control for someone that likes control as you said I'm I'm actually at peace with that I just it's out of my control so why why worry about it mm. you know what's been the hardest part of this initial phase because it's something that you've been consumed with for the last few months like yeah. what's been the hardest bit the hardest bit is telling people you know we talked about it in the car didn't we is you know it's 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 obviously not nice news to to receive and it's actually really difficult to have to go and go off and tell people ring them up and say this is happening so that's probably been one of the toughest parts telling uh, i'm tr i'm avoiding talking about the family because i find that difficult so i'm tr trying not to go there um and i thought jim I think you can say. I think. I think. I think it's. If you want to, it's important because I think people listening to this, yeah, and also the funding that's been pulled, and you know the amount of people that are aware of this disease, but also the amount of people that aren't. You know, you've gone into detail about what it's like and what the future looks like, mm. and it's putting a person, but not just a person, not an, not a rugby player, an ex rugby player. It's putting a husband and a and a dad, yeah, behind this and, and really trying to get the message over, you know. And I think that that's why with yourself, states without speaking for you, and you don't want to put an age. What, what you know? What age is 
a good age to get this or what is a good age to not be here anymore. You know, Doddy's 52 now, you know, Rob's a young man, you know, Becky's mum passed away at kind of 68. But the thing is with this, mate, you're 33. And, mm. You know, we, we need to get to a point where we live with hope, you live with hope and something changes in the short term. But also the fucking message gets out there to the powers that be that yeah. something needs doing and something needs doing yesterday yeah. and, and today. And I think that that is why we're going deep on the conversation with it. And I don't think anyone listening to this knows what you're going through and you, you've stood there and you've spoken about it so courageously. I mean, you know that, you know, we're there and, you know, as I say, we're driving to King's Home and fucking me and Brownie, fucking bases, yeah. you know, by the whole, you know, the whole emotion with it the thing is you want you don't you don't want too much sympathy because i think that in the end makes you feel sorry for yourself do you know what i mean you kind of just want that normality which i get off plenty of people around me which is great going going back to the most difficult parts is other people don't know how to react to the news you know and there is no right or wrong way but uh, you have you have to tell people and sometimes what you don't realise, and I would have never, never realised it, is people put their own emotions on it or try and put themselves in your shoes. And that's not what you're asking of them. They, they obviously send their sympathies or, you know, they're sorry and they're, they're sad about things, but I can't be responsible for how they react to it. And sometimes, you know, we've, I've had this, this news and suddenly it's like people expect that, they should speak to me every day or ask me how I am every day. And that's actually difficult, more difficult for me because you can't, you can't keep talking about your feelings every day. You know, you give people that news, people that are close to you as well. I don't know, like expectations suddenly change that they want to be with you every day, mm -hmm. which I get, and they want to see you every day and like put plans in place. But that, that's not how you lived before it. Do you know what I mean? You, you might speak to them once every month, every couple of months and, have a good catch up and that was that and then suddenly it becomes very very intense not being ungrateful but it's a different angle it's something i would have never have thought about but you know i had a couple of people going well, why didn't you tell me about the bike ride I, I, I didn't know anything about the bike ride i just thought well i didn't realize i had an obligation to start telling everyone close to me about everything i'm doing every day and that they need to know every detail and that's where some, that's what I'm trying to say is like people's expectations of you suddenly change, and that that's really difficult because, you know, I've got M and D, yeah, but I haven't changed as a person. Do you know what I mean? I haven't changed as a person uh, in terms of my personality or or anything like that. But other people get that news and their expectations change a little bit, and it's like, oh, it's it's a side to it that I I just didn't even comprehend. It's, it hasn't changed anything just yet. I'm still the same person, so we don't need to try and pretend I'm someone else now. You know, I'm still the same person that spoke to you two days before I told you about the diagnosis, for example. You yeah. know, and that's why we were all moaning like fuck on the bikes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And yeah, I think yeah, yeah. like it was no. I think you wanted that. We oh, that, that was us. Yeah. It was like you've basically put a group of guys together. <laughs> That can fucking moan the ass yeah. down, and that well, that, intentionally, yeah, exactly. intentionally, yeah. But you're you're right. But I want to hear other, you know, just because mine's sad and life threatening and terminal and those things, like it doesn't mean I don't want to hear about 
your problems or you might be having a bad day or or Ravo might be having a bad day. We want to have a rant about something going on. It does it doesn't matter if it's trivial compared to mine because that's not what it's about. It's about normality. Or you know, if you've got something wrong and I can help and we can talk about it, then I want to hear it. I don't want things to constantly be compared against my situation. That's my situation is what it is, but it doesn't mean I can't have normal conversations with people. Luckily, yeah, I've got lots of good you know what rugby's like. You know, it's fairly black and white, isn't it? And, you know, it's not long before someone's taking the piss out of you and you can laugh about it and everyone cracks on and, you know, you're walking around the place without without a problem. Yeah, and with the rugby element to it and driving into King's home, I think naturally you've been thrust into the limelight, not just you, but your family. Obviously, BBC have got behind it. I've been big shout out to them yeah. as well. Yeah, like Sally, Sally Nugent's been amazing. You know, she's... I mean, what what a platform to get the word out there. I shouldn't like BBC. They've never used me. They don't, yeah, they've never used me. But I love them now more than ITV. So, no, I, I've followed Sally and, you know, what she's done for yeah. Rob and, and Doddy as well. But how are you being thrust into kind of that limelight for the reasons you are in that limelight and how are you dealing with that as a as a family and, yeah, and trying to have that normality? I just, I, I just see it as a... A responsibility, really, because like you say, the work since Doddy and Rob and Stephen Darby have been diagnosed has, has changed M&D a lot. And I know we're still miles away from from where we want to, to get with M&D and finding something that, you know, really helps slow progression or, or cures it. But they've done a huge... No, I, I didn't know anything about M&D really before. You know, I think the usual line is, you know, Stephen Hawking obviously had it, but Outside of that, I don't think we'd ever heard of anyone that had it, ALS. We did the ALS bucket challenge, you remember that? But I'll be honest, when I was doing that, I, I didn't d- really I didn't know, know why I was doing I it. I didn't know what it was for until no. recently. Yeah. yeah. And that all changed with, with Doddy and, and Rob and Sally Nugent highlighting that and the BBC taking that story on and really, you know, Kev Sinfield, I mean, what, a, what a hero he is. How I funny mean, when I went in to give him a hug. <laughs> We're not there yet, mate. <laughs> and, he went, and he didn't help me. I shook his hand and I went in for the. Did you know about this at the hotel? Yeah, and yeah, I went I in for the big kind of hug, and he didn't want it because he didn't. I don't know if he believed I'd finished the cycle. So <laughs> if it was after, if it was a glossary, he would have hugged me, I reckon. But yeah, but, you're right. But not 90 miles in. Not no, he's, no, he's you've going. cycled 90 miles and you want a hug from me. No respect. But what he's done as well in the profile. What, what, what he's done. So. Probably from the outside, it looks like I've jumped on it very, very quickly. Um, and we did. That bike ride was organised within 10 days, like we said. But that's, you know, part of that is because physically I want to be able to do something, do something that I'll remember, do something that I can do with mates that they'll remember and we've had an amazing time and do something that raises a profile of it and keeps it in the conversation because, like anything, probably, you know, it was huge for a couple of years, two, three years and probably just tailed off a bit and the reality is I get diagnosed and it puts it back into the spotlight again it's unfortunate I have to be the person that does that but that's that's the card I've been dealt so that's why I've jumped on it and gone okay well let's push you know the 50 million pound promise from the government like well why haven't they seen a penny Robin Doddy and Stephen have worked incredibly hard to push that through and get that commitment from the government and they're just putting it to the bottom of the pile. Why? Do we know why or not? I mean, no, I, I don't know why. I don't know why, but, you know, you just look at what's going on 
in politics. Oh, we don't want to get into politics. Well, we can do. We'll look how fast the COVID stuff. And I know that that's a wider thing because it involves every person everyone, on, yeah. on the planet. But how quickly they can deal with stuff like that. But you know, the promise was there for the fifty million. We all tweeted about it. Not that yeah. that's a fucking thing, but we've all tweeted about it. We've all congratulated them. Yeah. You know, and then for whatever reason, I know Matt Hancock got asked the question about where it is, and um, yeah, um, uh, and then like n nothing's done. No, no one knows really what's going on mm. at the moment, do they? With with politics or the government, mm. so. But where are they in terms of research, like as in the amount of kind of eyes and people, you know, volunteers, but also the top people looking into longevity and looking into a cure? Yeah. Like what, I mean, is there treatments, you know, are there injections, are there things that people can do? There's nothing with solid, real solid evidence. That's that's the bizarre thing about it. You, you kind of get diagnosed and reality is they, they don't know enough. You know, there's there's a, a drug called Reluzole, which has shown it might slow progression for three months. But three months, you know, it's I think it has 50-60% chance of, of doing that. So really, it's it does nothing. It's it's pointless, in, in my eyes anyway. I'm sure it's not for people that are taking it, but I looked at it and went, that's not doing a lot, you know, okay. And um, what else is there? And then they're making small breakthroughs as... There's a breakthrough recently around a a drug um, that's actually you you can be prescribed now for for something else that's showing that it protects motor neuron cells and slows progression. But there, there's ongoing trials with that. A lot of stuff looking into your genetics. There's kind of without completely sound like I'm I don't know what I'm talking about. But there's three kind of genes that they look at in in your makeup that give you an idea about whether you may be susceptible to MND, so it's it's either hereditary, which mine wasn't, or there's a gene that if you're predisposed to, you know, strenuous exercise, that there's some evidence that suggests that that gene can mutate and, and turn into MND. They've got another gene that they've seen has shown up with almost everyone that has MND. It's called like a SOD1, I think it's called. They've got strange names and numbers, but... So they're starting to understand the genetic makeup of it, but they still can't exactly tell you why why it happens. So, you know, £50 million going into research would make a huge difference. There's already people doing massive work. Doddy um, and Jill Douglas at, at, at the Doddy Foundation has been incredible, and I want to add my voice to what they're doing. They're doing incredible work. It's not a space that I feel like I can go into and do something different. I think what Doddy's doing is absolutely brilliant. And so my main target will be helping Doddy and supporting Doddy's foundation because they've got really good people on board and I actually think they're pushing, oh, what's the word? it's like disruptor, right? A little bit disruptive, trying to get things in motion. Knocking um, doors down. Knocking doors down, yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Some people are talking about the correlation of playing a contact sport You've mentioned the playing sport and I had Dr. Professor Bill Ribbons and we touched on MND and he mentioned actually that they're potentially looking into coincidence or correlations of elite athletes and if you've got a genetic something yeah. in there and you do both then that could trigger something. But the one for me is people are starting to look now, obviously yourself mentioned Rob Burrow, Doddy Weir, Hughes van der Vestes and, and there's been a number of footballers as well. Do you think anything 
towards that? Is there something deep down that might think that rugby, because I think uh, I think people say that they think when they hear motor neuron, they're thinking head, you know. And I've yeah. spoken to Carl Hogg and and Jill Douglas loosely about what their feelings are yeah. on playing a contact sport or playing rugby. And you know, the times, you know, me and Rave were going back and forth. I don't know if you saw when they did an article on concussion, and then they used your. They somehow linked it to oh, your your picture. They they someone in the office linked that, and we were like, "That fucking down!" Like as in, but yeah, yeah, I did, I did see that. So people um, are going to be asking that question, or yeah. you know, pointing inwards I, towards that. What do you think? I think it's that? natural to assume there's a link. You know that that was my first question when I was diagnosed. So Kevin Tobbert was, could it be related to head knocks? And he said, "I thought that might be your first question." And they're just there's absolutely no evidence to link head knocks and motor neuron disease. There's there's you know lots of research and evidence around CTE and things like that, but motor neuron disease is it's not related to getting bangs on the head. You know we talked about genetic makeup. I think you know there's there's evidence around exercise and strenuous exercise and repeating that and the stress that has on your body. Uh, that you know there's there's evidence around that, but. But nothing to do with head knocks and motor neuron disease. Essentially, is your brain still working fine, and then you've obviously got lots of cables, wires that run down to your to your muscles that tell them to move, help you function. You know, obviously it ha happens in an instance, but but basically you've got your brain telling you what to do. Lots of wires going to your muscles. Your muscles do the work. With motor neuron disease, there's there's a problem with the wires between the brain and the muscles. So the muscles want to work, the brain wants them to work, but something's happening in that middle bit which i think is less I, you know i'm not a scientist so i don't i don't want to go on and and say something that might make make me sound stupid but as far as they're concerned there's there's no link between head knocks and and mnd there is a link between strenuous exercise but i i still astounded by the fact that i think it's one in 300 get diagnosed with mnd and i've been astounded by the amount of people that have contacted me and gone a relative so and close so friend close, yeah yeah and mm. i'm talking lots and lots of people that have been affected by mnd whether whether it's been directly or or whether they've been a relative of someone so obviously you only start to realize that once you're diagnosed but it's you know there's a lot of people and it it just happens that you know there's been three rugby players there's been footballers like you say len john rose who sadly passed away football's not a massive contact sport it is a strenuous sport on you on you physically, you know, in terms of fitness. Rugby is as well. So the answer is basically they don't think so and it doesn't really help me. You know, I, I don't regret playing rugby whatsoever. I don't think it's linked from what the specialists have said. I do think a lot about how lucky I am to have the support and I have played rugby and I've got people around me that want to help me and we talked about the rugby family haven't we on the bike ride we we're talking about how incredible the reaction was so there's far more positives that come out of rugby that have helped me than anything else really what does the short term look like i know we've done the bike ride we raised 155 170,000 and rising is it yeah well when we arrived at king's home it was 155 wasn't it i woke up the next morning a friend messaged me and said it's gone up to 185. So it was like within that, another 30 grand had, had been added on. But but when we started, it was it was 70. It was at 70 grand, and so we raised yeah we raised over 100 grand really. Yeah, which is incredible, really, in 
such a short space of time. Yeah. And, and that shows you, I mean, because when you watch the news or, you know, you see some people on the bike ride and they're trying to run you off the fucking road and <laughs> it was that bloke, get a fucking job. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's one guy that came out and you go, ooh, cycling friends. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I know we look horrendous on the bike, but he, he saw Rave. I thought you had skid marks up your back. I didn't know what it was. It was sweat, apparently. But you sometimes see the worst in people is what I'm saying. But yeah. when stuff like this happens you see the best in people yeah and, you know people donating we're stopping in pubs for chips and you know that woman's all over billy 12 trees and she's got an old school pint glass and people are dropping in pound coins and yeah i saw kids putting in fivers like you see the best in people you do yeah we, we had a, we had a farmer you know we were talking about yeah. in the car there's a uh what pub, what was the pub saying I can't remember. Oh, that's oh, you carry on chatting, I'll find out. Yeah, like you're like Joe Rogan's, like you know uh, Jamie. Who oh yeah, get up Googling. on the screen. Get yeah, up get on the it screen. Up. Give me a sec. This farmer, they're they're in the middle of their harvest. Three blokes, um, the dad and his two sons, jumped off their combine, come over to the pub because they knew we were stopping there. Had a drink with us, had a chat with them, handed over a hundred pound cash to like. Do you, you know what I mean? It's just that that uh, that has been one side where. You know, we we are a cynical bunch, aren't we? Well, we might be helping them wash money. Do you know what I mean? You don't know. <laughs> you don't. These farmers ain't got money. They're getting grants left, right. I know they're not. I'm joking. I know farmers are going through a tough time. But yeah, you're right. It's like it really has. But yeah, like you're, you're so... never going to see him again. No, no. You know? And, and, and they felt I'm... compelled to do that. Yeah, I, I went to a Coldplay concert on Saturday at Wembley, waiting for a drink at the bar. Bloke, you you did the bike ride. I said, yeah, yeah, I did the bike. He said, I donated to that. I donated to that. Really? So, and I said, I said, thanks. Let me buy you. No, no, I'm buying you a drink. I need to get you a drink. So we had a chat for ten minutes. Lovely bloke with his wife, bought me a drink. We talked about the bike ride, and it was just brilliant. I really enjoy that. Like that that interaction. I won't see him again, but had a good ten minute chat. He's donated money, which I I really appreciate. And he wants to have a talk about the bike ride and I can have a laugh with him. So loads of, you know, all the messages. My mum reads all the messages. Oh, you've got the name? Of course I have, mate. Uh, the Red Lion, Castle Eaton, Swindon. Rave, I knew you'd add value. It's, I mean, it's... Yeah, sorry, it's been a bit me, me, me. Let's get on to Rave. <laughs> Let's get on to Rave. I was going to tell the story, actually, of Australia when we spent some time there and we ended up in Airlie Beach in the jacuzzi and... That guy's knocking on our apartment door. I don't know if it's got any relevance to the bike. <laughs> I was the bike what ride. Is Come on, I whipped out of the jacuzzi. What happened? He for some reason only goes in a jacuzzi naked. Okay. Well, your shorts are dirty. I read something that if you you know like you go into like an ice bath or a jacuzzi, like why would you take your shorts in your hands or whatever, and they've got all the muck and sweat? No. Well, unless I'm thinking more of you got a piece to show off. Well, I not, don't normally, but this jacuzzi in, was hot. This is hot. He's this obviously so that good of mates you don't care, do you? No, yeah. no, we don't care. <laughs> and this guy's banging the door. He's banging on the door, and I was like, we can't answer that. We're both in the hot tub. He's obviously naked. Next thing, the door's open, and this guy's walking in. I've then jumped out of the jacuzzi, put a towel around me. He's come walking towards me, just looks at me, all like frightened in me thing, looks at him, looks down. So Animal. <laughs> sees he's naked looks back at me I'm like oh it's not like that mate and then he, oh, and then he walks off and says animal he walks off saying animal I, was just I, I, I just said horse I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I was happy uh, we've got a million stories a million, a million stories that we could tell about me and you but you're Gloucester team manager now go on head of rugby operations but... <laughs> is that the technical term <laughs> that, was, that was Simon's title wasn't it head of rugby operations what Simon Cohen yeah 
Well, he drove a yellow Porsche. Focus, mate, and a Sharon. Well, there you go. So humble. We'll, we'll touch on Gloucester. Last year, I mean, Goody thought Gloucester were going to get relegated. I said top six. I might even said top four. Just say I said top four. Hell of a season last year. Rave, you work alongside George Skivington. Many question marks when he came in. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone was like, well, yeah. George Skivington, out of all the people you could get. Mate, absolute genius. I was chatting to Brownie as well about Don Waldock as yeah. well. I mean, looks amazing with the shirt off, absolutely shredded. He couldn't speak highly enough of him. No, he's brilliant, mate. So Gloucester now, and there'll be a large group of Gloucester fans listening to this as well, so let's service them. Yeah. I forgive you, by the way, Gloucester fans, and I love you, <laughs> and I'm going to be playing soon at Billy Twelve's. Um, Is that official? Not, not yet, we'll get on to that. But Gloucester this season, did you overachieve last year or not, Rave? Are you, are you allowed to say that? I don't think they overachieved. Then they made top four, mate. Yeah, well, no, should have. Should have when you should have when you look at it. Like the some of the games that we didn't win that we should have. There was a couple. That Bristol one away. The Bristol one away at the end. The Wasps one. Wasps one at home was an absolute killer because you would have thought that Kings Home. Obviously, you keep touching on it with the crowd. You would have thought Wasps coming to Kings Home would have been a good day for us there. And then obviously the Quins one when at half time. Seventeen points out, weren't we? So there was a few that got away there. So it actually, it actually then ended up feeling, not an overachievement, it ended up feeling like a bit of a disappointment coming to yeah. the end because it was like it was proper in our hands to go there and those are the games that we've just said. Mm. What's been the turnaround? What's You work alongside Skivs and Brownie and there's been a few changes. You know, On the rugby pod we gave Lance, I'm sorry Lance, a bit of heat. But actually you look at collectively now, it just seems like a wicked bunch at Gloucester. load of young lads coming yeah. through. Gloucester lads still involved, you know, a Gloucester proper Gloucester captain in Luds. Yeah, the coaches, obviously, you've got Timmy, Dom, Trev, Skivs, like, oh, it's Dom. He's, 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 he'd be my, he'd be younger than, he's younger than us. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's way younger than us. Timmy, <laughs> Timmy and Skivs are both, well, the same as us two. We're all, all turning 40 in November, end of this year. So it's like, as a head coach, very young. And he's just been... It's just been brilliant, as I think you can see from what well, you will have seen straight away with like the set piece, like just bringing back like that sort of old school Gloucester, as in needs to be a formidable pack who work hard. Mm. But what's he like, Skivs? Jason Statham. <laughs> Jason Statham. <laughs> I, he, is, he, is he Cockney geezer? Is he like that? He, or not? He's got some incredible. He would be, honestly, I've said this to you before and I said it on the bike ride. He'd be brilliant, like on a one on one with him. Because the stories he's got is very, he's got a lot of very similar to us growing up in the Leicester Academy. He was obviously coming through that Was Academy, so we're coming, we're coming through watching scraps at training. He's coming through going out with Lawrence Delalio. So you can imagine another side that I'd want to be on. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can, you can imagine his stories. Like, yeah, honestly, mate, he's into his boxing. Like, he's you to a T. So expectations for this season because we're getting all the Gloucester fans listening to this. Is there an expectation of a top four now? Like, is that, you know, Slates, when you look around the changing rooms with the lads that are there, is there enough strength and depth? Europe obviously adds, or the Champions Cup adds another layer of games. You've got Leinster, have you? Yeah, yeah, we've got Leinster, oh, Bordeaux. Yeah, I mean, fight, trying to fight on all fronts. Salary cap's been reduced. I'm bringing you into my world now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Rugby yeah. media, but from a Gloucester point of view I think the good thing there hasn't been a great deal of turnover at the club has there we lost a handful of players but realistically no main starters for the club so expectation on that group is that 
they should be able to match what they did last year. The only thing you, you can't predict is obviously what other teams are doing. And, and there were some big sides last year that struggled, didn't they? Exeter, Bristol. And so they'll be coming back a little bit stronger. You know, they've signed people like Genji at Bristol, haven't they? Exeter have had to sign a few players as well, lost a couple. So you can't account for what, for how well they do. But they will be stronger next year. I don't believe they'll have a season as poor as, as they did last year. So that that will change it a little bit. But we haven't had big changes. We've got players that are another year into working under Skiv, another year of experience. Like you said, we we have got a lot of young players, but like people like Charlie Chapman, how well he stepped up. Like how The last few years for him, it just shows you you need to play rugby, don't you, as a youngster, and how many youngsters are, are struggling to find game time. And, and we're lucky that Skiv has come in been very, very clear about what he wants and what he expects. And he leads that by example, which is the biggest thing for me. You can't question any area that of the club, really, under, under Skiv, because he's on top of everything and he sets a standard. So naturally, the players follow. And those young guys have, have stepped up and I think we'll, we'll reap the benefit of that over this year and the following two, three years, really. My attitude towards it, if I was playing this year, would be that, we should be expecting to at least meet the standard we set last year. But I'm not in the change room now, so <laughs> I don't know what conversations are being had. And I'm probably putting a bit too much pressure on them now, aren't I, by saying that. but <laughs> Gloucester have always fought well as the underdogs. I mean, the fact that Goody said you were going to get relegated or finish bottom... I mean, what the hell? He ain't got a bloody clue, has he? <laughs> but before, What's he saying this year? Well, he did the bike ride, didn't he? He did all. He, he did that yeah. whole day, eight miles. So he'll be a Gloucester fan now because he rubs shoulders with uh, a bunch of good lads. But we've got a precursor to that. We've got Billy Twelve Trees. My respect for that man has gone through the roof <laughs> yeah. after them days because he out my best mate up every single hill. So <laughs> through the roof. So firstly, I mean, he's not retiring yet. He can't go into finance. Someone said, oh, yeah. I said, well, not someone. I said, Bill, what are you doing? After rugby, he said, oh, fi- finance. all of his accountants. I was like, mate, stuff. you need to be a fucking Iron Man or something. <laughs> like, you cannot go into finance. It will be like, as in, not that, you know, you're better than that, but you need, like, you're an outdoorsman. You're, you're a wild yeah, man. You, you know, you're ripped to the bloody chisels. The body needs to be out. But it's his testimonial, the precursor to the Prem. Bloody love the Prem. And Beck ain't happy if I'm playing, but... You said about five since. minutes ago that you're playing. I am. It's that's going to be wicked, though, isn't it? Oh, apparently, you were saying off air that Hibbs is Richard Hibbard's going to be playing. Yeah, he signed up. He looks like he's eating Hibbs. <laughs> <laughs> he's a bit like as he's put on a bit. He's gone to his natural weight of 150. It seems. Well, I think yeah, he's he had a shoulder reconstruction. Not and a reconstruction. He had a me- he, well. Not a reconstruction, yeah. What a replacement? replacement. <laughs> he's had a shoulder replacement. All this back. If you're listening. This is all being fueled in. If Hibbs can play and he's gone to his natural way... And he and can't he's... lift his arm higher than 90 degrees. Who's throwing in then if he can't do that? Well, he could never throw in the first Very true, either. very true. I mean, we used to take the Welsh line out to the cleaners, I'll be honest, humbly. But anyway, that's old news. But he's playing. <laughs> he's playing. Who else is in the... In I the saw line? the last playing, tweet Dave? that me and him are... Well, yeah. well, I thought we were, that me and him were playing four and five. And then when they were at our house the other day, Beck... Adamantly said that he wasn't playing. I was like, I'm pretty lot's, sure. Happened since I'm pretty sure I'm, he's back in Billy's the playing. <laughs> so we've got Billy's testimony yeah. to look forward to. Obviously, it's going to be class. Ed, what things are in the pipeline? Uh, pipeline, Rave. Are you you're going to be involved in some shape or form on a committee? I mean, how, how yeah. does this all work going forward? We can't leave it there. No, no, we can't. And the truth is, Nicole, who I mentioned earlier, has been shit hot 
and she's actually she's come up with kind of a timeline of events and ideas that uh, she think would work and I need to go through them with her I, she said she'd let me finish a bike ride and, and settle down a bit so I've actually got to speak to her this week about what that looks like but again you know now my arse has recovered and my legs aren't heavy anymore I'm suddenly going well I need to do something else you know again under the, the guise that I'm physically capable and I want to enjoy it. I enjoyed that bike ride so much that what what do you want to do next, Jim? Are you in or? Well, the BBC interview after the edited it so bad <laughs> that it made out like that like, I ain't doing anything again. Like was that was that the bit though where you'd gone like you'd, John had asked you hadn't he? And was it at King's Home? At King's Home, he said, "Would you get back on the bike tomorrow?" And you you went no no. I, I and said then no. You said actually the bit after you went actually no I'd, I'd do it again tomorrow. But they edited it to where in the studio he was like I, I asked the lads was it all worth it. And it then pans to me and I say no. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, mate, you've completely stitched me. Like, that's not the question you asked me, was it worth it? You asked me whether or not I'd jump on the bike tomorrow. I said no, but if Slate's asked me, then yes. So maybe only I saw that, but I was horrified. No, no, I saw saw that. I I didn't see the... I didn't see the, was it worth it? Yeah, no. I didn't see that. Yeah. No, it wasn't. Oh, God. He's but, an arsehole, and I, I don't want to be near him again. Yeah. But I'll, ju- <laughs> I'll jump on a bike again. I'm, I'll, you know, personally, I loved it, you know, being part of such a good group of boys. Yeah. And, you know, whatever is next, I'm in, you know? Yeah, well, I, I've got to speak to Nicole. Don't but, come up with anything now, because if you're... We have nothing. Like, but, um, my like, mind's, you know, my mind's... But don't say anything here, now. because it needs okay. to be... Like, we need to be able to finish it. Like, we could come up with some mad idea, like, you know, the, all the peaks or whatever, and I'm not even going to put ideas you in here because we'll be like, let's earlier. do it. I did say I like walking earlier. But we did, did say, say that maybe we should do things as, like, maybe like a tag team rather than us all just getting absolutely fucked. I don't want to put anything in the mix. Okay. It puts a lot of pressure on. <laughs> all right, and obviously... On Rave. Yeah, on Rave, on Rave, you're here. But I know, you know, the, the old hashtags and stuff like that and... I know we've got the Just Giving page, which we'll post and stuff, but yeah. is there a website sorted yet, or will there be? I know we've got the hashtag for Ed. Yeah. We're going to post a load of stuff on there well, in terms of that, but can we point anyone into the direction slates if they want to support, because people will want to do that quietly. You know, Other people want to get involved by themselves because they're moved by the story. Yeah, well, I've definitely had questions about it because, um, because it is a Just Giving page, which has been fantastic. You know, I'll always point people in the direction of Doddy or the MNDA. Um, if that's something they want to do, absolutely support those guys as well. From from my point of view, there are people that want to make donations and, you know, things like gift aid. That you can't do that with, with just giving. Definitely plans to, whether it's a, a charity or a foundation, uh, just so that people, uh, this tax stuff that I, I have nothing, you know, no clue about really. A gift aid, I think, is really important when people are donating. So we'll set that up. But my intention around that is, like I said to you, it's, it's kind of twofold. It's it's raising awareness of the disease and also the work that Doddy does and the MNDA as well, but particularly Doddy because they've been fantastic for, for me personally. So my energy will be going into those guys because they're doing work, incredible amount of work that I don't, like I said earlier in the pod, that I don't think, I need to do separately from them. I need to support what Dodd is doing uh, already. So that that would be the the aim of the fundraising and the um, and the awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Slates, we're here with you. You know, as in from the podcast standpoint, the rugby pod. But 
you know, being part of that cycle. Uh, and everybody, I know in the grand scheme of things, it, it can, you know, might seem superficial, but we're there. And you mentioned hope. We're all hoping, you know, and we'll make sure that this and your story and, you know, the MND story gets out there as far and wide as possible and to, to the government level as well because ultimately what it comes down to is funding yeah. and research and all these things so we're going to do everything we can we desperately try to keep pushing that message but bloody enjoyed that it was uh, it was great Ravo welcome to my work mate this is it thank you for having us yeah cheers ladies. thanks mate thanks for having us Jim